Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the March 2017 scavenger hunt preview in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What? Yes, we're back for another scavenger hunt, scavenger hunt 24. Uh, this month's scavenger hunt is hosted by Letterboxd uh, user Matt Minton, parenthetical TCL. And uh, this is his opening uh, description, statement, message. He says, hello there to everyone on going this challenge. When I decided to host one of these hunts, it was about a year back. And since then, I've come up with many tasks and ideas for my own hunt. I hope the list and tasks that I've put together for this month's scavenger hunt are fun and exciting and yet a bit of a challenge. I realized that some of the categories selected are not the hardest to find movies for, but I did try my best to have a lot of variety to make it interesting. I hope you all have a great time hunting, watching movies, and reviewing. I would recommend for you all to tag all of your reviews with Scavenger Hunt 24 or Scavenger Hunt. You can change your picks at any time, and you can also watch your selections in any order. I would also ask that most of your picks are first-time watches. I can't stop you from putting in movies you've already seen, but it's just recommended to make most of the movies you haven't seen, to make most of them movies you haven't seen, to make it a fresher experience. If you want to have all rewatches, there's nothing stopping you, of course. There is a rewatch category, though, so there is an exception there. Thanks, and good luck, Matt. So, March has 31 days. There are 31 tasks. As it turned out, I ended up with two categories that ended up being uh, rewatch movies for me. Uh, but uh, we will get to those. And uh, let's let's do it. Thank you. Thank you, Matt, for this scavenger hunt. And uh, without any further ado, task number one. A movie that Roger Ebert loved, but yet you still haven't seen. Kind of noticing a theme. I think we've definitely had a Roger Ebert-related category before. Uh, I also think it's insane that this this task suggests that everyone should have seen the vast majority of Roger Ebert's uh, favorite movies when, like, there's, like, 4,000 movies in that list. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. The film I chose is a 1962 film uh, from Mexico directed by Louis Buñuel Manuel... Bunwell, mm. the end with the tilde, but there's you. I don't know. Buñuel, that might be closer. Um, and it is called the Exterminating Angel. Exterminating Angel uh, is one of the official Letterboxd top 250 movies. Currently, it has an average rating on Letterboxd of a 4.1 which is quite high, and it is also one of the Cinerealist top 200 movies. 
uh, as it ranks 189th on Zach's top 200. So I will be happy to check that one off as well. Uh, the, the synopsis is the guests at an upper-class dinner party find themselves unable to leave. I don't have any idea what that could mean. Looking at the poster, there's a couple embracing and kissing, but there's a painting in the background with like a goat head on top of a person. Um, I'm in, I'm intrigued. I, I, <laughs> I'm curious as to, as to what's really going on here. Uh, yeah, the exterminating angel. Sounds like a fun one. Task number two. A film featuring a disease that you had at least once in your life or always have had. Uh, I don't have any lifelong diseases, thankfully. Um, But, you know, I've definitely been afflicted with various illnesses uh, during the course of my life, ranging from colds to flus. Uh, But what I ended up going with is pneumonia. Uh, I had pneumonia, I think it was in middle school, um, and it uh, was not not a pleasant experience. And so it was kind. Of, it was pretty difficult finding, you know, movies that featured characters that have pneumonia. Uh, there's not really any movie that like revolves around pneumonia so much. But uh, I did happen to find a Michael Kurt. Uh, a Michael Curtis 1945 film uh, entitled Mildred Pierce. This is a uh, they shoot. This is an a they shoot pictures, don't they? Uh, member of the of their 1,000 greatest films, and is also part of the Criterion Collection. It stars Joan Crawford, Jack Carson, and Zachary Scott. And uh, the brief synopsis is, after her cheating husband leaves her, Mildred Pierce proves she can become independent and successful, but can't win the approval of her spoiled daughter. I like that. Um, I hope I'm I'm looking for a female-driven film, despite two of the three top-billed actors being men. But that's... uh, Par for the course, I guess. It's got a 3.9 average rating on Letterboxd. Very high. And it is uh, kind of the only movie I had the option of picking that I was able to find quite, quite easily. Uh, so, but I, I think I, I think I, I think it's a good one. I like Joan Crawford. I have, I, I very much enjoyed her in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is pretty much the only movie I've ever seen her in. You know, she's in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, but that's kind of a different thing altogether. Number three. Task number three. A film that jumps around in time more than once. So, not necessarily a time travel film. Uh, It could just simply be something like Moonlight, which skips ahead in time twice. Uh, That's kind of the only criteria. But I, uh, I kind of googled things like this, but most of the Google results came just just came back with like standard time travel movies, which wasn't what I wanted, you know. 
As much as I love time travel movies, I really wanted to satisfy this task with a film that doesn't really feature time travel. So I ended up with a 2003 film directed by Gus Van Sant uh, entitled Elephant. Elephant. Yeah. Uh, a school shooting movie um, starring Alex Frost, Eric Doolin, John Robinson, Elias McConnell, Jordan Taylor, a lot of other names I don't recognize. It's got a 3.6 on Letterboxd, which is pretty solid. Um, so a mutual, someone I follow, their review, their four and a half star review is simply shit. <laughs> like, not like it's shit, but rather shit. Uh, this The brief synopsis is, several ordinary high school students go through their daily routine as two others prepare for something more malevolent. The film chronicles the events surrounding a school shooting. As I understand it, the way that this film satisfies the task is that you progress through in a sort of like vantage point-esque way from through one character's perspective of the, night, of the day, then another character's perspective of the day. And so you're following the same time period, but you just keep rewinding backward into to revisit it in a different perspective, um, which definitely satisfies the task. Excuse me. Um, that's Elephant from Gus Van Sant. Um, yeah. Number four, a film that has a title that could be easily mistaken for something dirty. Uh, there's plenty. The the I actually came up with a film before the one I ended up choosing uh, called The Climax, which doesn't have anything to do with sex, except I could not find a way to acquire it by any means. So I ended up having to choose something different. And I ended up going with a 2000 film directed by Jonathan Glazer, um, which doesn't really, it's not subtle, it's Sexy Beast, starring Ray Winstone, Ben Kingsley, Ian McShane, uh, among others. Uh, this is a 3.7 average rating on Letterboxd, and the general synopsis is, Gary is a former gangster who has made a modest amount of money from his criminal career. Happy to put his life of crime behind him, he is retired with his wife, Dee Dee, to the sunny bliss of rural Spain, where he lives an idyllic life with his family and a few close friends. But Gary's contentment is ruptured by an unwelcome visitor from his past, Don. Uh, here, Ray Winstone plays Gary. Ben Kingsley plays Don. I am expecting Ben Kingsley to fuck some shit up. I am totally okay with this. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. it. This is a movie that I remember seeing all the time at the library uh, when I used to rent VHS tapes. And I would think, what is it? Like, what is this movie? And, like, it's rated R, so I couldn't rent it. I was too young. But I, I would always, like, pull it out if, if my grandma wasn't nearby. And I'd, like, look at the cover. And it probably wasn't the same cover as the poster I'm seeing on Letterboxd. I don't 
think that it was. I think the cover at the time had uh, Ben Kingsley's picture on it. And, you know, I was just like, what is this? And I don't think that, that came from, like, a sexual curiosity perspective. I think it was just, like, intrigue. I don't know. Like, maybe it was Ben Kingsley's face. Uh, I'm not sure. So, it'll be nice. Finally going to put this one into the books. That's Sexy Beast, number four. Number five. A film with a transgender actor or actress starring. Uh, this one should not be as difficult as it actually is. There simply aren't a lot of high-profile actors and actresses that are transgender, openly or otherwise. And particularly not in, like, main starring roles, uh, you know. There are a handful of them that... I, I went through filmographies for, but uh, I ended up picking Laverne Cox, uh, s star of Orange is the New Black, and this is a 2015 film directed by Paul Weitz. Uh, Paul Weitz I, has directed a lot of things, um, American Pie, In Good Company, About a Boy, Little Fockers, uh, but in 2015, he directed Grandma, starring Lily Tomlin, Julia Garner, Marcia Gay Harden, Judy Greer, Laverne Cox, Elizabeth Pena, Nat Wolf, John Cho, Sam Elliott, and Colleen Camp, among others. It's got a 3.5 on Letterboxd, and uh, it's basically Lily Tomlin, who is the grandma of... Uh, Julia Garner, her eight, who's 18 in the movie, and needs her grandma's help. Uh, so they go on a road trip, and uh, that's the movie. It's very short. It's it's 78 minutes, and I, I remember this getting a lot of good press uh, a couple of years ago when it came out, and I, I really... I remember wanting to see it, and I just never kind of found the time, or there was always something a little bit more important for that year. You know, this didn't get nominated for any Oscars, so it probably took a backseat to those movies at the time. Uh, so I'll be happy to kind of dust it off and pop it in, if you know what I mean. That's Grandma, number five. Number six, this is a pretty easy one, a film in theaters. So for me, this means a film that's coming out in March that I will be able, that I will 100% be going to see. Um, I mean, there are a couple of options here that I could have gone with, but it was pretty easy. The biggest release uh, that's expected to be in March is Beauty and the Beast, directed by Bill Condon, uh, who is... Oh, man, he does not have a good history. Uh, but <laughs> the cast is just so incredible. Emma Watson, Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, Ewan McGregor, Ian McKellen, Emma Thompson, Josh Gad, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, Stanley Tucci, Kevin Klein, Audra McDonald, Adrian Schiller. Um, just such a great cast. 
and I, I, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for it. You know, Emma Watson is gorgeous. I haven't really seen much of the the previews. I've caught glimpses of what the beast looks like. I still don't have a verdict on it. Uh, you know, I love the original Beauty and the Beast animated film. And uh, I don't know how closely they're going to hold the, adap- ad- the adaptation. I've heard that the Broadway version of Beauty and the Beast, they're going to incorporate songs from that version into this movie. And uh, I have no idea. Uh, the... the, the It might be good, it might be less good, but Disney has a great track record with Cinderella and the Jungle Book, so I'm on board. I'm on board. Beauty and the Beast, number six. Number seven, a film you feel you need to rewatch. So so what I did for this was I think that up until a couple of years ago, I was overrating a lot of films I watched. And particularly when I look at stats uh, on my spreadsheet, such as um, when I can, so like I have, the, I have a section broken down by year where it tells me how many of my current top 100 films are from each year. And unsurprisingly, with just going back to 2008, you have 38 of my top 100 films which is a very, so that's a nine-year window where 38% of my top 100 were are from. And while my top 100 varies greatly, and, you know, even, like, 1962 has three films in, the top one, in my top 100, it's a little ridiculous, I think, to have so many films so recently be so highly rated. So... The year with the most films currently in my top 100 is 2013. So I went to 2013 and took a look at these six films from that year. And I found the one that I thought had the highest potential to maybe be worse on a rewatch. And so I ended up settling. And so, so so I ended up settling with a film from Nicole Holof Center. Holofcener, Holofcener, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Catherine Keener, James Gandolfini, Tony Collette, Ben Falcone, among others, called Enough Said, uh, which is, you know, James Gandolfini and Julia Louis-Dreyfus are middle-aged women, a woman and a man, (laughs) and they are kind of I don't know, they're just, they're victims of circumstance, kind of, you know, they sort of had grown affection for each other, and then more facts come to light, which complicate this, and it's not an overly complex plot, uh, as none of Nicole Hall Center's films are, but they're very well written, they have incredible dialogue, uh, Olive Center is a great writer, and I think she's a very, very good director, and I've liked all of the films of hers that I've seen. Uh, but I think that there's a chance this one might be a little highly rated. So I pick this one. We'll see. I, I'm not 
ex I'm not going in with the intention of lowering the score, but I am keeping my mind open to the possibility that that could happen. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a great great film. I think you know one of Julia Louis Dreyfus's best roles, and uh, it's it's interesting seeing her, you know, really embody this kind of different type of character. You know, she's not Elaine from Seinfeld. She's not uh, Veep. It, it's it's just a very different sort of down-to-earth, realistic role, that I and I just love her in it. And this is one of James Gandolfini's last roles, and he really gives this really sweet, lovable performance that just catches you off guard and sweeps you off your feet, and I, I'm really excited to revisit this movie. Number eight. A film featuring an underwater animal name in its title. This was much tougher than it should have been. I ended up on a Wikipedia page with just animal names in movies. And, uh, you know, I, I there are plenty of fish-type names in movies. None of them are coming to mind. Uh, like, like Shark Tale. I've seen Shark Tale. Or, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's, there's a huge list. All the ones that I was coming across that would satisfy this category were either movies I'd seen or, as more often were the case, they were like shitty sci-fi direct movies. And I hated it. I was like, this is not, I'm not doing that. I don't want to sabotage myself. So I ended up with uh, a film from 1988. Um that I'd been rec uh, recommended to watch um, before by by someone else, by, by a family member. And that is the 1988 film directed by Charles Crichton, Crichton A Fish Called Wanda. A diamond advocate is attempting to steal a collection of diamonds, yet troubles arise when he realizes that he is not the only one after the diamonds. Sounds crazy. I'm in. Stars John Cleese, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Kline, Michael Palin, others. Uh, there's really... I don't really have a good reason to not watch this film. Uh, I just... I don't know. It. I didn't know anything about it. It kind of hit, fell in the same... Oh, there's another film that it was kind of felt like the exact same thing based on the title. It was the the Guy Pierce Hugo Weaving film where they're crossdressers. Uh, I can't think of the name. I'm gonna have to look it up. Guy Pierce and Hugo Weaving. Um, the Adventures of Priscilla Queen of the Desert. I felt that those were like the same thing. I don't know why, but they're not. And I haven't seen John Cleese in a movie in a, in many, many, many years. So I'm looking forward to Fish Called Wanda. It's got a 3.7 on Letterboxd. I'm excited for it. I, I think I'm predicting this to be the funniest film of the year, of the month.
predicting it. That's number eight, A Fish Called Wanda. Number nine, a film by a director with one feature-length film in their filmography that you haven't seen. This is tough, and I didn't want to spend forever going through every director I've seen a single movie from until I found one that I... Like, I I immediately went to the Coen Brothers, but I'm missing two films from their filmography currently. Uh, So... uh, It actually turned out to be a little easier than I thought when I looked at uh i i went to a, a newer director who has received a lot of acclaim and awards this year at the oscars and everywhere else uh that's damien chazelle and this is his 2009 feature film guy and madeline on a park bench um it's uh it's Uh, It's described as, it's about the often uneasy but always beautiful relationship between music and love. It tells the story of a young Boston jazz musician who drifts from affair to affair, his trumpet the only constant in his life. He makes a promising connection with an aimless introvert named Madeline, who immediately takes to his music. The relationship is cut short, however, when Guy leaves her for another, more outgoing love interest. The two separated lovers slowly wind their way back into each other's lives through a series of romances and near romances punctuated by a song. Uh, I feel like this is definitely just the best time to watch this. You know, La La Land just came off winning six Academy Awards. Giselle won Best Director. Uh, The movie won Best Score, Best Original Song. And I love Whiplash. I think it's incredible. And I like La La Land. I think it's very good. And I'd like, and like, this will be a way for me to kind of step into Damien Chazelle's mind and see like how he started and how he got to these higher points. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'll like this more than La La Land. I don't know. But uh, I think it'll be really interesting to kind of see, to finally fully understand the, the evolution that he has taken as a director from one film to the next. Number 10. A lesser known or talked about comic book film. And uh, for this one, uh, I guess I just looked at like good, really good comic book films is what I ended up looking up. And uh, I actually ended up finding a film that I've heard a lot of good things about. But kind of has some mixed reviews on on letterboxd it only has a three average it's from 2007 directed by david slade and it's called 30 days of night now i'm kind of looking at the uh, overlay of the film where it kind of looks like there's some vampires. I saw the word vampire in the summary of the film, so I'm guessing it's a vampire film. It stars Josh Hartnett and Melissa George, as well as Ben Foster, Danny Huston, Mark Boone Jr., Manu Bennett, uh, among others. And, uh, you know, it's, it's supposed to be good. Uh, I, you know, a lot of my friends on Letterboxd have given it at least a three stars. Uh, 
and I don't know. I, I you know I've got there's some five star reviews here. You know this it's this person's favorite vampire one of their favorite vampire movies of all time. Uh, so you know I don't know I'm always interested in in some ab abnormal horror and uh, vampires are pretty uh, pretty scary when they're done correctly. You know, let the right one in, let me in. Are I think are both really good movies uh, that deal with vampires, and maybe this one will be added to that catalog. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Number eleven: a movie one of your family members recommends to you that you haven't seen yet because you think it will be terrible. Uh, this one. I thought it was going to be tough, but then a movie came to me that made it very, very easy. My my grandfather uh, has been, rec- you know, I, I've watched a handful of Kurosawa films, and I, I've been generally positive on, on, on the ones I've seen. And I, I forget the exact context of when he first recommended this film to me, but he has since brought it up a, a couple of times afterward. And that is the 1990 film, uh, Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. So the premise behind this is that it is kind of just like, imagine a movie like Fantasia. You know, a lot of short segments with sort of a, a connective tissue running underneath. Then remove the connective tissue and remove the logic out of any of the short films and then squish them together that is how i interpret this to be it's supposed to just be a collection of dreams that kurosawa has had over his life and you know it's got a lot of really good reviews so clearly if i do dislike it i would be in the minority but i just i think the premise is really gonna be difficult to pull off I'm not sure that I'll enjoy it. Uh, you know, I do have my ups and downs with Kurosawa as a filmmaker, so I'm a bit trepidatious about about this one. I, I'm I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Number twelve, a critically acclaimed film that you've put off multiple times on watching guiltily. Uh, so this one happens to be another Zack and James top 200 film. This one is actually the highest rated film on Zack's list that I've yet to see. His 19th film overall of all time is Bicycle Thieves, the 1948 film by Vittorio De Sica. Uh, this will be the first film of De Sica's that I've seen. Bicycle Thieves is one of the highest rated films on Letterboxd with a 4.3 and, you know, is frequently listed among one of the best films ever made. Uh, And I don't know anything about it and I really don't want to. I am scrolling very haphazardly right now to avoid being able to read the summary and I'm going to exit out of the page anyway. That's Bicycle Thieves. 
I kind of been putting it off because it's an older film, is a foreign language film, and I I have the sink, sneaking suspicion that it's going to be dry and, and very tough to get through while simultaneously being very like well crafted, you know. So we'll see. I, I I do think that I will give it a very positive review and that I will like it, but I am concerned that I'm going to kind of not love it, you know? So Bicycle Thieves, number twelve. Number 13, an Oscar-nominated, but not winning, documentary. Uh, I went through a few of these, uh, really. Uh, This is, I mean, it's a very easy film list to get hold of. You know, you can go to Wikipedia, just go to the best documentary feature films, and just find the ones that didn't win. Uh, And there's a lot of them. But being the documentary uh, makes it very difficult to find them to watch. And uh, I did find one, and then I audibled to a different film that was recommended to me by a listener. Uh, So that film is the 2003 documentary uh, directed by Andrew Jarecki uh, named Capturing the Freedmans. The poster is a noose that is clearly made out of an American flag with the title, Who Will You Believe? I have no idea what this is about. I don't know who the Freedmans were or why capturing them in any uh, context of the word is a good or bad thing. Um, And I'm not interested in learning anything else until I see the movie. Uh, But this is a film that was recommended to me uh, to satisfy this particular task by listener Miran. I hope I'm saying that right. Myron? Myron? I don't know. It's M-I-R-A-N. And um, this is one of his favorite films of all time. Specifically, his 43rd favorite film. Uh, which I have not seen, and so I am interested to see it. I I like a good documentary. Uh, You know, the last one I saw was OJ Made in America. Well, I guess that's not true. Uh, I Am Not Your Negro is a good documentary. The last great documentary I saw was OJ Made in America, and... Hopefully this will be a great documentary. It's got a 3.9 on Letterboxd. And I don't know what it's about. So (laughs) that's Capturing the Freedmans. Number 14, a best picture winner you really want to see but just haven't gotten around to it. I There are only a handful of best picture winners that I haven't seen. Nine specifically. And starting from the oldest... There are Grand Hotel, Cavalcade, Mutiny on the Bounty, The Great Ziegfeld, You Can't Take It With You, How Green Was My Valley, The Best Years of Our Lives, Hamlet, 1948, and The Greatest Show on Earth. That's what I had to choose from. None of these are films that I'm particularly uh, like chomping at the bit to see because I still haven't seen them. 
But of those nine, the one that I'm most interested in seeing is the 1948 film Hamlet. And the biggest reason for that is because of Laurence Olivier, who won Best Actor alongside Best Picture for this film. He is also the director of this film. Hamlet is considered to be Shakespeare's greatest story and and play. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but it is an incredible piece of work. Uh, That is undeniable and uh, yeah I get to check off another best picture winner I think this I think I'll enjoy this one it's it's two and a half hours long so so it does it does stretch out pretty long but you know <clears throat> it's a big story there's a lot to tell and you know, I think Laurence Olivier is a fantastic actor. Uh, I've seen five. I've seen him in five other movies. Uh, most recently, I think is Sleuth. Although I've also seen uh, Spartacus and Wuthering Heights as part of my scavenger hunts in re- recently. So, yeah, Hamlet, Laurence Olivier, 1948, Best Picture. Number 15, a film featuring one of your worst fears or phobias. I don't have a lot of these, uh, but the one I went with is Deep Water. I'm, you know, I don't mind pools, and I'm even fine, like, at the edge on, like, on the beach. But, you know, going over bridges, um, flying over water... Or just like great expanses of of ocean are are very terrifying. I really struggle to like look and, and recognize these things around me, and I I'm terrified of just like being stranded in the middle of the ocean. It you know when I can't see the bottom of whatever body of water I'm above or in I I start to freak out so that's what I went with as my one of my worst fears or phobias and the film that I went with is a is a Samuel L. Jackson movie Deep Blue Sea 1999 directed by Rennie Harlan uh, easily the film I am most interestingly interested in uh sorry simply because i fully expect it to be ridiculous and incoherent you know it's got a 2.6 on letterboxd which is pretty low and it feels like it's being uh, the poster makes it seem like a contemporary version of jaws which it won't be Except in the sense that in 1999, films were, as the poster says, bigger, smarter, faster, meaner. And even if it is, it won't be at all written or directed as well as Jaws was. There have been plenty of shark movies. I've seen a handful of them. This, I don't know if this will be the worst one or not. 
and and I'm not going into this movie wanting it to be bad. I just expect it to be bad. It, it's just all the signs point that it's going to be point toward it being bad. You know, the cast is Thomas Jane, Saffron Burroughs, LL Cool J, Michael Rapaport. Doesn't exactly scream high quality. Uh, so, I, I part of the plot revolves around Alzheimer's disease. Even though that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the shark. So, I, I, I don't know. I, I feels like a sci-fi movie. And looks like a sci-fi movie. So, Deep Blue Sea, number 15. Woo, 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 woo. Number 16, a film mentioned, watched, or referenced in the U.S. version of The Office. I couldn't find a comprehensive list of these films. And I don't remember exactly where I found this one either. But I ended up with a 1990 film direct, 1999 film directed by Brian Robbins titled Varsity Blues. Varsity Blues stars James Vanderbeek, Amy Smart, John Voight, Paul Walker, Ron Lester, Scott Can, Allie Larder, among others, including Jesse Plemons, and uh, the, 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 I don't know, it's, it's like a high school movie in Texas that deals with football. So, yeah, it's got a lot of names that I recognize and they're a lot younger than I remember them being and yeah it's it just it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's gonna be interesting it'll be fun it'll be probably bad I don't know it'll probably be pretty bad uh, you know how many small town Texas movies about football can you make Friday Night Lights, I think, is really good. The the movie. But, I don't know. I do not get that vibe from Varsity Blues. Number 17. A film with a subtle shade of green in its letterboxed poster. I really like this task. I think it's creative. Uh, it's not a task I've seen before in the year that I've been doing this. Not that half of these tasks are... Not that the rest of these tasks are all repeats, but it's very much unique compared to the one, the rest of them, in my opinion. And it was kind of tough to find. It was actually really strange because I went through uh, just my watch list and like none of them had green on them or they were all green and that's not subtle. So I did finally find something. It's a 1940 film. It is an uh, underrated and obscure film uh, starring Margaret Sullivan and James Stewart titled The Mortal Storm, directed by Frank Borzage. Uh, the summary is, The Roth family leads a quiet life in a small village in the German Alps during the early 1930s. When the Nazis come to power, their family is divided, and Martin Breitner, a family friend, is caught up in the turmoil. So James Stewart plays the family friend. Everybody else is part of the family. And there's Nazis and war and uh, drama. So 
How do you go wrong? It's got a 3.8 average rating. And the green on the poster is, well, the poster has a lot of names and titles and words on it. And then you see Margaret Sullivan and James Stewart. Uh, he is behind her with his hands on her arms as they're both looking in the same direction. And then behind them is a blue and green background. So that is where the green is. The Mortal Storm. Number 18, a film nominated for both a Razzie and an Oscar. Every time I look this up, I get more and more surprised at just how early the Razzies uh, started. You know, they go back to like the 70s or some shit. It, it's, it feels like they're like a very recent thing, but, but they're not. Um, this is a movie that also happens to be on the top 200 uh, of, of Zack. This is his 127th film, starring Robin Williams, Toys. Uh, this is a generally disliked film, rated 2.4 on average at Letterboxd. Uh, directed by Barry Levinson, the summary goes, Leslie Zevo is a fun-loving inventor who must save his late father's toy factory from his evil uncle, Leland. A warmongering general who rules the operation with an iron fist and builds weapons disguised as toys. Uh, it sounds absurd. And it probably is. <clears throat> but it is on Zack's Top 200. And I'm guessing it's a more of a nostalgia-based pick. Uh, but... I don't know. Maybe we'll see. There, there's always the chance with any movie that there's some some merit hidden behind the curtain. And I am going into this movie with an open mind and an open heart, ready to accept toys as, you know, it has just as much a chance as any other movies I talk about at being my favorite movie of all time. And I believe that. And I stand by that. Toys, number 18. Number 19, a James film. Uh, this is, the category is, the task is, a film that is a sequel to a film that you haven't seen. Uh, which I kind of hate as a category. Um, but anyway, uh, so this is actually a documentary it's a it's it's from 2000 and it's called Paradise Lost 2 Revelations so it's uh, it's HBO and it is a it regards the Robin Hood Hills murders uh, these are these this is an event that took place in 1994 in Arkansas where three eight-year-old boys, were murdered and three teenagers were convicted of the crime. And I don't know what happened in the first one because, you know, I haven't seen it. But it's uh, it's supposed to be pretty good, actually. And it's got a 3.7 on Letterboxd. Uh, apparently, there's also a part three. So 
I, I figured that the least detrimental film to film series to watch out of order would probably be documentary, uh, especially considering like you expect that the first documentary had everything. So the second one is simply adding more information. Um, and like it says it new interviews with the convicted man as well as with the original judge and police investigators. I think that's, I don't know. I mean, James picked this and not the first film for a reason. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to trust him on this one and we'll see how it works out. So that's Paradise Lost 2 Revelations. Number 20, a film set away from normal civilization, but depicts realism nevertheless. So I guess, I guess what this category is going for is a real film set in real life that is set out in like the wilderness or the Arctic or the ocean or something like that. I chose a 2014 film uh, directed by Adam McDonald titled Backcountry. The summary is a couple on a deep wilderness hike become hopelessly lost within an aggressive black bears territory. Uh, I don't have any reason to believe this doesn't feature uh, realism in it the description of black bears territory kind of makes me wonder if they portray a black bear in a negative light we'll see uh but i i don't remember why this film is in my watch list but it is and i'm going to watch it (laughs) and that's it uh, I don't really know anything else about it. It's reportedly supposed to look really nice, even if the plot and rest of the film don't hold up so much. But uh, I guess I guess I'll be the judge of that. So backcountry number twenty. I feel like these keep getting longer and longer. <laughs> um. Number 21, a 21st century film that's 160 minutes or longer. Speaking of longer, uh, I chose a film from 2008. It's a foreign language film called Love Exposure. No preamble. Love Exposure. This is directed by Cyan Sono. And I. it looks ridiculous. Uh, here's the summary. After Yu's mother dies... His father, a priest, only seems to take solace in the confessions of his son's sins, causing you to partake in various sinful activities to appease him. Okay. This is a teen love story as only the Japanese could bring us, complete with upskirt photography, cross-dressing, and bloody gore. Sounds like a live-action anime. Might be based on an anime. But it's got a 4.2 average rating on Letterboxd, and that's really fucking high. It... Uh does not appear to have been nominated for a foreign language Oscar. So that's probably a good thing because generally my best foreign language features for each year weren't nominated. So love exposure. Love exposure. Number 22, a film that is generally loved and appreciated by critics and hated by audiences. I found a really nifty like top 10 list that basically outlined uh, oh uh, it kind of it compared critic Rotten Tomato scores with 
um, with audience Rotten Tomato scores, and it found the biggest discrepancies between the two. And I think this was number three on that list, and I'd seen the top two of them. So this is a 1990 film directed by Frank Marshall, and it is Arachnophobia. Critics are very high on this, and people don't like it. I can understand why, because a lot of people are afraid of spiders. I'm not a spider fan, that's for sure, but I've never really been put into a position where I have to test my fear or uh, friendliness towards spiders, so I will tentatively say that I am uh, okay with them. The summary is, a large spider from the jungles of South America is accidentally transported in a crate with a dead body to America where it mates with a local spider. Soon after, do do we get to see that? I would love to see spider sex. Spider porn? Please. Soon, are spiders ones where like the female kills the male? I don't know. I don't know. Soon after, the residents of a small California town disappear as a result of spider bites from the deadly spider offspring. It's up to a couple of doctors with help of an insect exterminator to annihilate these eight-legged freaks. Uh, So this sounds like the original version of Big Ass Spider. Uh, I liked Big Ass Spider. I expect to like this too. Uh, It stars Jeff Daniels, John Goodman, and some other people. But those are the big names. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just kind of like a creature horror movie with spiders. It will probably unsettle me, and I won't be able to sleep that night. Arachnophobia. Number 23. A film you kind of wanted to see in theaters, but passed when the reviews turned out overwhelmingly negative. This doesn't really apply to me anymore, so I had to go back a couple of years, and I remember vaguely talking to my then roommate uh, about going to see this movie after seeing previews for it uh, mostly based on just the cast Uh, and then it got some pretty bad reviews and we ended up not seeing it but I don't know if it was just because the reviews were negative but I'm going to say it was Uh, so this is a film from 2015 directed by Cameron Crowe called Aloha it had a lot of backlash about Emma Stone being uh, cast in a half, I want to say Japanese, but it might have been Vietnamese, I don't know. It was like a half Asian character's role. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, anyway, it stars Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, Rachel McAdams, John Krasinski, Bill Murray, Alec Baldwin, Danny McBride, and some other people. Uh, I like I like those people. Uh, you know, Bradley Cooper is handsome. Emma Stone is beautiful. Rachel McAdams is beautiful. John Krasinski is handsome. And uh, it's Cameron Crowe. And I, I like Cameron Crowe. Almost Famous is uh, a big, a, a great movie, in my opinion. And uh, what's, what's the worst that could happen? I don't know, except that it has the lowest average Letterboxd rating so far of the films that I've talked about, with a 2.1. So a lot went wrong, apparently. 
That's aloha. Means hello and goodbye. Number 24. Uh, tough, uh, poorly worded category, I think. Uh, but it essentially boils down to before, insert actor's name here, was in a dirty swearing movie, they were in blank. So they're basically looking for a movie, an actor who's been in uh, like a filthy, dirty swearing movie, and then find a movie from before then. So I ended up choosing Keanu Reeves as my actor of choice. And he has definitely been in some like dirty swearing movies. He does so in John Wick Chapter 2. And John Wick 1, if I recall correctly. So I went back into his filmography and found a movie of his that I have not seen. I have never seen the 1991 Catherine Bigelow film Point Break. This is kind of a uh, milestone film for some people, I guess. It's got a 3.6 on, on Letterboxd. I love Catherine Bigelow. And my impression of this movie is that it's like stupid stupidness. And I kind of feel like it can't be because Catherine Bigelow directs it. So I don't know what to think. It stars Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Gary Busey, Lori Petty, John C. McGinley, James LaGrosse, among others. And... Uh, I don't know. I like Cool Breeze. I think he's great. And I, I just like looking at this summary, I'm seeing words like ex-presidents, the FBI, undercover, surfers, coastal town, robbers. I don't know what's happening, and it sounds insane. Is this like Triple X before Triple X was a thing? Maybe. Number 25, Homestretch. A film with more than one punctuation mark in the title. I'm sure James would love this category. He is a big stickler for punctuation. And I went with a film featuring a comma and an exclamation point. This is a film from 1969. It is an Oscar-nominated film. And it is called Hello, Comma, Dolly! exclamation point starring Barbara Streisand Walter Matthau Michael Crawford Louis Armstrong among others it is an average rated film of 3.4 and it's directed by singing in the rain himself Gene Kelly and it, the summary is matchmaker Dolly Levy takes a trip to Yonkers New York to see the well-known unmarried half a millionaire Horace Vandergelder. While there, she convinces him, his two stock clerks, and his niece, and her beau, to go to New York City. To what end, I have no idea, but Hello Dolly is a name that I am very familiar with, even though I've never seen a uh, an adaptation of it before, so it'll be good, nice to introduce myself to whatever this story actually is. And Barbara Streisand is probably the best way to do so. So that's Hello Dolly, number 25. Number 26, a film that, in your opinion, has a dumb tagline. 
this is tough. I mean, like, this is so subjective. I could kind of just pick any movie I wanted. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to find a tagline that was general, genuinely kind of dumb, even if it wasn't, like, the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. And I also wanted it to be a film that was on a top 200 list of James or Zach of the Cinerealist podcast. And I ended up choosing a film on James's top 200, uh, currently ranked 189th. And that is the film from 2010, Stakeland. Stake the wooden spear-shaped object, not the filet mignon thing. Uh, and the tagline is, the most dangerous thing is to be alive. Which just doesn't seem... Uh, it's not dumb, but it just feels like it doesn't mean anything. So I guess that, I guess it is dumb, but like, it doesn't mean anything. The most dangerous thing is to be alive. Like, we're all alive. I'm alive. You're alive. You're listening to this. You're definitely alive. I'm alive. I'm talking. I'm definitely alive. Why is this the scariest thing ever? I'm guessing that the film is going to try to answer that question. I don't see how it can. But, like I said before about toys, I'm going to trust James. It's got a 3.1 average rating on Letterboxd, but who gives a hoot? Stakeland, directed by Jim Mickle. Number 26. Number 27. A movie nominated for zero Oscars, but most people believe undeservedly so. Uh, this is another, another film from the top 200 of a Cinerealist. Uh, and that is J uh, Zach's uh, 194th film from 1949, Kind Hearts and Coronets. Kind Hearts and Coronets is the film following Louis... Louis Mazzini's mother belongs to the aristocratic family Descoyne. Descoyne? But she ran away with an opera singer. Therefore, she and Louis were rejected by the Descoynes. Once adult, Louis decides... Lois? Louise? Louise has an E on it, doesn't it? Uh... Oh, wait. It is Louis... It is Lewis, I'm sorry. Lewis decides to avenge his mother and him by becoming the next duke of the family. Murdering every potential successor is clearly the safest way to achieve his goal. That just took an incredible turn for the interesting. I am, am on board with this movie. 100%. A murder spree to overtake the duke of the family? Yes. Sign me up. Tell me more. Tell me more. Kind Hearts and Coronets. Number 28. A film featuring an actor or actress that you are insanely and unhealthily attracted to. Um, my initial thought for this was Alison Brie. I think she is drop-dead gorgeous, and I, I, I just love her in everything she's ever been in. But... I ended up going in a different direction 
because I was looking at the films that Alison Brie had been in that I haven't seen so far, and nothing was really piquing my interest. Uh, so, thankfully, there are so many incredibly beautiful and incredibly handsome actors in the world. It's tough to find someone who's only insanely attracted to one. And so, and another pick for this category for me is Brie Larson, winner of the Best Actress Oscar last year for her performance in Room. Uh, this time, I'm picking a 2014 film entitled *The Gambler*. *The Gambler*, starling, bleh, starring Mark Wahlberg, John Goodman, Brie Larson, Michael Kenneth Williams, Jessica Lange, George Kennedy, others. Uh, the summary is the a literature professor and gambler. Uh, Jim Bennett's debt causes him to borrow money from his mother and a loan shark. Further complicating his situation is his relationship with one of his students. Will Bennett risk his life for a second chance? My guess, yes, because he is a gambler. Brie Larson is very pretty. Number 29, one of your friend's favorite films that you haven't seen. The friend in question is Zach from The Cinerealist. And I chose uh, the highest rated film on his list that I haven't seen and that isn't already on the scavenger hunt. His number 29th ranked film overall, Pootie Tang. <laughs> Written by Louis C.K., directed by Louis C.K., starring Jennifer Coolidge, Lance Crother, J.B. Smoove, and Reg E. Cathy. It is, uh, it is a something. <laughs> Too cool for words. Pootie Tang, the musician, actor, folk hero of the ghetto, is chronicled from his early childhood to his battles against the evil corporate America who try to steal his magic belt and make him sell out by endorsing addictive products to his people. Pootie must learn to find himself and defeat the evil corporation of all the young, for all the young black children of America. Super time. I've heard that like he just can't fucking like speak English, so I'm not sure what to think. <laughs> I'll be honest, not sure what to think. I've definitely heard of Pootie Tang before, and nothing has ever really made me interested in watching it. But I do like Louis C.K., and I think that he is incredibly funny, so... I'll trust him this one time. Two left to go. Number 30. A film from my list that's uh, not me, but um, The Cinema Lover or Matt, the, the host's list. Uh, his list is a list of my favorites, colon, movies I love to the moon and back. I went to that list and I had seen every single movie on it already. So I went and found one that I rated quite lowly upon first watching it. And it's a film that a lot of people have praised to death. And I've been meaning to watch it a second time to see if I missed something or I just didn't understand it. And that is the 2015 film The Witch. You've probably either seen it already or been talked about it to death by a friend when you don't like horror movies. And for that, 
I commend your devotion to genre, I guess. I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to rewatching it. I, I do think that I may have missed something. I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely a technically well-made film. So I guess I'm looking more for a plot device that doesn't feel contrived, I suppose. So that's The Witch, number 30. And finally, number 31. A movie that didn't win an Oscar in 2017 that was nominated. There is literally only one film that I haven't seen that was nominated for this year's Oscars. It is coming out in, at, in theaters this later in March. And that is My Life as a Zucchini. I'm incredibly excited to see this. It's supposed to be super depressing about orphans, which is something I can definitely relate to, and I fully expect to cry. Uh, yeah. My Life as a Zucchini. I had already made this list with that film on it before the Oscars on Sunday because I was so confident in the fact that this was not going to win Best Animated Feature. I'm sticking with it because I have to. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. That's My Life as a Zucchini, number 31. Thank you for listening. I don't know if you can tell, my throat is dry. It kind of hurts. Um, feel free to watch along with me in any order you so choose. Maybe any of these films kind of jogged your memory of a past viewing or has set you on a new course where you will be watching one of these tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, head to circleoffilm.com for older episodes or information about me or the spreadsheet I use or the Circle of Film Awards or previous scavenger hunt superlative winners. Thank you again. <laughs> can't thank you enough if you are a listener um feel free to send an email to circleoffilm.com i will be happy to take any of your comments concerns questions or answers and finally have a week so long farewell i'll be the same tonight come on baby when we paint the town and all that jazz So long, farewell I'll be here saying adieu In the name of love One night in the name of love So long, farewell Oh, what I'll be here saying Wait a minute Wait a minute